0: Oh Oh. 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 Honestly
1: Unbalanced. It's episode twenty-seven of Honestly Unbalanced, and this week we're chatting to Dave Stringer. Dave is a massively inspiring person and he's someone that I would call a teacher. He seems kind of infinitely wise and every time I'm in his presence, I just want to keep learning from him. Holly and I have been lucky enough to spend time with him at various festivals like Udaya and uh, the Swiss Yoga Conference. And we also did a training with him uh, last year as well, his flight school in Berlin. But let me tell you a little bit more about Dave. Dave is a Grammy-nominated record producer and composer who's been widely profiled as one of the most innovative artists of the modern yoga movement. He's a massively inspiring singer and a captivating public speaker and he manages to combine neuroscience, yoga philosophy and music into a participatory theatrical experience. If you have ever get a chance to see Dave perform live and his band and partake in a kirtan, do that. But your next best option is to find his music online. Whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm having a bit of a crappy day, i put on one of his songs and all is decent in the world so you enjoy this podcast guys we massively did uh and we've actually listened to it again a few times uh, enjoy it guys it's me again before we begin we're going to just play a little bit of Dave's music for you guys to enjoy and we'll play some at the end as well
2: Cheeto.
1: we got in trouble a few moments ago and more, more specifically holly got in trouble and it's kind of your fault like we were listening to your music no. and it was ganapati it on we were listening to can or going to party, go, party on. on and holly's like stamping her feet getting into it <laughs> and just this big knock on the door from the neighbors <laughs> Bates just saying shut like shut the hell up
0: I was going for it. I was reminiscing. But what's interesting is in the last
1: (laughs) half an hour, we've been listening to your music and it just brought us so many, like, happy memories and good vibes from our time with, well, multiple times that we've spent Mm. with you. And I guess the first first question is, like, what is it? Like as yoga teachers, yes, you might help change someone's life a little bit, but you can't really tell in the moment. It's very under the surface. Whereas with what you do, you know, you're, you've got hundreds of people in front of you clearly having the best time ever. Like, how does that feel? It must be really addictive.
2: <laughs> well, um, it is addictive, and and I've had to learn not to um, not to use the drugs that I deal in a sense. You, know? <laughs> like you can't, you can't. Um, You can't get addicted to the effect that it's having on people because um, I'm not interested in this as an exercise in in building myself up or Mm. creating some kind of sense of personal power or cult about it. And I think that's always really a danger in the yoga world is that uh, or in any kind of the wellness community, if you do something that uplifts people in some way or is transformative. Um, people tend to give you credit for that Mm. and if you take that credit um, then it can lead to all sorts of ego distortions on your part and the whole reason I got involved in all of this was to find my way beyond my ego only to run into like one set of traps after another you know Uh have
0: you have you battled with your ego then quite a lot in in this industry
2: Well, for sure. I mean, that's actually ultimately what the whole thing is. You know, you're there to facilitate, or at least I'm there to facilitate an experience of both personal and um, mass transformative ecstasy. That's something that occurs in each person. Um, but yet, it, it's also kind of interfaces with the whole marketing and merchandising aspect of the music business, which means that for if people are going to come at all, they have to people have had to have heard of you, which means you kind of have to be a rock star of sort. <laughs> and, and so. um, So there's a a kind of a a paradox or or an opposition between those things. You know, Um, if the goal is to transcend your ego, you somehow have to do it through a packaging thing that's like, you know, you get into things like, you know, hey, my name should be bigger on that poster. (laughs) Or like, why are, you know, like why is someone else being promoted? No, I should have the 8 (laughs) p.m. Saturday (laughs) slot, you know? And so you get all caught up in all of these things. Or really, you paid her that? seriously. I deserve, <laughs> you know, I've been on the road much longer than her, you know, etc. And you get into all of these little traps. Um, so yeah, it's a battle with the ego all the time. And some of it's even just preferences, you know, like, um, you want things to be a certain way and they're not that way. And you really can't get mad about it because the show has to go on. Mm. And I, I think all of us want to be catered to And looked after, and yet I've been in situation after situation in which that's not really possible either because circumstances prevent it, or the people I'm dealing with are just bleeding idiots. And, <laughs> you know, and I have to still somehow find some peace of mind or presence or compassion in it. You know. Mm. So
1: okay, with that ego thing, I guess when you can when you can step back and think about it intellectually, it's it, you can really rein it in. But I guess like in the moment, as it were. When you're like on stage, there might be moments when everyone's dancing and you kind of think to yourself, I'm a badass. Um, Like, how do (laughs) you, which you are, by the way? (laughs) How do you rein yourself in in those moments when you're there there is so much going through your body? (laughs) Or
0: do you just let go? You're like, yes, you do
2: have to uh, enjoy it. And I mean, my, 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 uh, I think what I just go to is wow, yeah, like what a beautiful thing, yeah, you know, like if anything, I try and turn that into maybe a space of gratitude or humility to say, mm. what an amazing life I'm having that I get to do this sort of thing,
1: mm. you know?
2: Mm. Um, the minute I take responsibility for it, um, I think it, I I've, I've felt it crush it, you know? Like I've been like, wow, I'm so great. And then watch the whole moment die. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it's really an interesting knife edge because you have to be both really present and you have to, you know, understand that it it's showbiz in the sense in the in, in that people have every right to expect that you're going to hold their attention, that you're going to move through something, that you're going to be professional about it. Um, and it, at the same time, it's it's an artifice that's meant to open us up to something unpredictable, mm-hmm. um, something that that hopefully is full of wonder or even if it's like sometimes it's a drudge but hopefully you get to the end of it and you're like wow i'm still glad i did that mm. you know like i'm glad i practiced.
0: i've just realized that a lot of people might be listening to this thinking what do you actually do so can you actually oh, tell right. us what you do because okay. <laughs> we know. <laughs> I
2: know well um okay so let's talk about kirtan and mm. what it is because I, I realize it's not a household world or a household word mm. even though it's a worldwide phenomena that also perversely is been put utterly on hold um, during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, kirtan is a form of call and response singing in which uh, a band or a leader sings out a mantra, which for most people is kind of nonsensical, um, but is in generally the Sanskrit language. And then people sing it back. And it starts slowly. It gets faster and faster and faster. It's utterly participatory because everybody's singing. So, in a sense, everybody's in the band. Um, the fact that people don't understand the words means it's sort of content free. you uh, the aboutness is is the experience that you're having. Um, it's meant to free your mind by freeing it of concepts and attachments. and so I, if nobody if for people who have never experienced kirtan, like there are pop songs that'll have like uh uh nonsense words in them and you know even like say hey jude had na 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 na, na you <laughs> yeah. know, this kind of stuff and, and and it's satisfying to sing those things it feels freeing to sing those things it's even more freeing when your voice is part of a massive crowd mm. of people singing and dancing together um so there's an old tradition of it uh In which people get together in groups and and sing and it used to happen in ashrams and places like this in india in the modern yoga movement it became something that was often happening on friday or saturday nights at yoga studios where community could get together Uh, it started happening in yoga classes because it it involves um a form of onayama or conscious breathing that's being practiced with people together it has very interesting neurological effects uh in terms of a sense of creating a feeling of unity between people and a feeling of connection and also creates a, a really positive joyful transformative energy mm. I hope that, does that i hope that comes across well, oh yeah totally yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah well i think my first experience of kirtan was with you is it yours as well adam
1: no. Oh, no, I don't think so. I think I'd witnessed it before, but of course, like with anything, it's completely subjective, isn't it, how you do it. If you you yeah. can do it in so many different ways. It can just be one person with a harmonium, mm. or it can be the whole band. And I think I've I'd witnessed it in various forms that I didn't find that accessible or they didn't resonate, or maybe I just didn't give it a chance because it was something so alien you to me. You weren't ready at the time. Maybe yeah, well, wasn't ready at the time perhaps. <laughs> but uh-huh. then the way you do it, I guess I call you I, this. I don't know if you like this or not. I call you the kind of the Phil Collins of the Kirtan world. <laughs> that face, okay. says no. the face
0: says no. Face says
2: no. No, we share the same kind of hairline. I know so. it's not that. It's it's a, it's a voice. It's, a it's something Phil. about
1: your singing voice and the, f- oh, okay. and, the fa- and, and the and the way you kind of do your own thing, as it were. Mm. Like Phil does, ahead <laughs> of his time, yeah, yeah. And his
2: I will take it as a compliment. It's Um, meant as a compliment.
1: uh, (laughs) So let's talk about how you found the way you do it. Because to describe to people how you do it, you know, there's you doing it. There is often instruments that you wouldn't expect around you, uh, you know, guitars, etc.
2: Well, traditionally, uh, there's a long tradition in India where they did it using instruments that, you know, we have come to regard now as classical Indian instruments, tablas and harmoniums and things like this, all of which were originally imported from other cultures too and sort of transformed. I mean, the harmonium was brought by the English to, to India. The origin of tabla and mudangams and things like this, these kinds of drums, uh, is really actually the Muslim world. And um, so uh, from what I understand, the origin of kirtan was that there was a conflict between what yoga taught and how it was being taught. It was coming up through this really a fairly brutal caste system that put Brahmins at the top and everybody else below. And the idea was that, you know, uh, if you were lucky enough to be born as a Brahmin, then you could have a spiritual life and everybody else had to sort of wait their turn. But yet yoga was saying that the fullness of, uh, of consciousness, divine presence, love, whatever word you want to put on it exists in everyone, in every particle mm. of existence. And that the work of all of our lives ought to be to connect with that essential nature in ourselves and with that in others. So the original bhaktis, bhakti means devotion in and, and kirtan, took this out of the temples and into the streets. Um, they took it seriously and said, well, essentially yoga is in everybody. So that means it must be for everybody. Mm. And they were dealing with, say, in the 14th, 15th century, A lot of people who weren't necessarily literate so they used simple mantras and coupled them with simple tunes that people could remember because the practice of singing was transformative they were like you don't have to believe in this you just have to do it and you'll feel better and you know for people in the modern day i challenge you to sing for 10 or 15 minutes and stay mad Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. so true something, something in our you know neurology that 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 makes us feel better when we start singing. And um, so this became a practice that became a mass movement, a kind of, in a way, democratic or democratization of spirituality. Mm. And it spread it all over the world, ultimately resulting in a 20th and 21st century yoga movement in the West. So the asanas kind of came along later. Um, meditation and chanting really were yoga First, hmm. um, And uh, so in the 20th century, you know, there's very, you know, for the purpose of the podcast, I'm uh, making this as concise as possible. But uh, the history of the movement, they kept incorporating other instruments. So this happened before the Brits, you know, invaded uh, India and before the empire. But then they brought classical Western instruments and Indians incorporated them they'll 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 take anything in and then when westerners encountered it i think really particularly beginning in the 1960s um and started bringing it back to um to the west i mean george harrison is probably one of the patron saints of this whole mm-hmm. thing um and uh people started adding other things you know acoustic guitars and they were like well, what about an electric guitar what about a drum set what about an electric bass So it's a kind of ethnomusicologically, a form of music that's kept being added to and kept being transformed. So I'm not an Indian, you're not an Indian. Um, There are many Indians that come to these events, but um, we live in places like London and Los Angeles, and um, we're making music that's reflective of the influences that, that we have. So Kirtan has now become imbued with pop references Um, Hip-hop references, folk references, gospel references, Mm. jazz references, it's all in there. And have you had
1: much fight back from that? As in, it's distorting, have people said to you that it's distorting what Kirtan truly is when you start incorporating these instruments?
2: Oh yeah, constantly. But the thing is, is that I have to ask people, well, what do you think Kirtan truly is? Is it a style? You know, uh, if you get deeper into it, you say, well, the point is to get people to sing. Yeah. You know, and uh, so uh, yoga itself has kept reinventing itself. Mm. People, you know, I mean, the whole idea of a Surya Namaskar was something that was really developed, I think, in like the 1920s, mm. you know. It's like much of what is practiced as asana these days. Well, There's a,
1: a lot of thought that a lot of the modern asana, yeah, is, is influenced massively by, I think, Indian... Indian uh, wrestling and western gymnastics like colonial like you yeah. can you compare a burpee used to a, a modern sun salutation and there's right. not much difference is there
2: No there's not and and, and it's fair I mean I, they, we get in I think we get lost in these discussions of cultural appropriation mm. I mean, culture is always appropriated I think um the jazz musician Miles Davis once said it's not what you steal it's how far you run with it <laughs> and that um and, you know, and he was speaking about you know as a jazz musician incorporating all kinds of different references. I mean, on one hand, there's nothing original. There's only so many chords, mm. you know, and there's only so many different ways to put notes together. And um, I mean, if I if I make a curry at home, is am I culturally appropriating? You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, even let's look at that. Like, even if you use a, tomatoes and chilies those weren't native to India. <laughs> they appropriated those from South America, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. it's it, it uh, All of cuisine, all of art, all of music is, is constantly uh, pulling from like wherever there's a good idea or a good flavor, mm. you know. Um, I don't think anybody owns culture. No.
0: And going back to what you said about uh, devotion and bhakti, what I really love about your style is you're not saying that we're uh, devotionally singing to anything outside of us it's more about looking within and connecting to something within us because i think a lot of people can be put off by the religious connotations uh so for the first time me and adam sort of felt like with you it wasn't about that at all it's
1: like agnostic kirtan
2: yeah <laughs> yes it is agnostic kirtan and i think <laughs> it's because you know, to me, yoga is a is a way of, of posing questions about the relationship of ourselves to the universe and asking questions like, you know, what is consciousness? What What's the purpose of our existence? Mm. What does it mean to be alive? How should I live my life? You know, um, there aren't ready answers to that, but there are many ways of, of asking these questions. Um, I feel like I don't want to impose on people um, a specific set of like, this is what it is. I want to open up the field for people to have their own experience Mm. and to inquire within, you know, about what it might mean to them. I'm also, um, uh, I mean, the word agnostic means literally uh, not knowing, Mm. you know, Um, and I feel like that's a a way of being committed to keeping an open mind um, Mm. and, uh, and an open heart at the same time. Um, it's a way of committing to uh, practices that help compassion arise mm. um, for other people um, because I think that's helpful. I think that the more that we feel an experience of both ecstasy and stillness in ourselves, I think that's helpful. Mm. Um, it, it, it's sad right now that at the time when we most need these practices, it's impossible. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and um, I don't know about you, but back in March, all of a sudden everything stopped. Yeah. All the yoga studios closed, all the festivals canceled. Um, kirtan is a super spreader event yeah so, like, how
0: have you managed uh, online
2: I'm really of interested oh uh, coming up here uh, hundreds of thousands you know hundreds of thousands of people singing together is just like uh, there could almost be nothing that would spread the virus any faster <laughs> yoga studios where people are in close contact yeah. Yeah. breathing you know uh, it's it's like and yet the things that we need the most to like, express our connection to one another and our humanity, those things that we most need to like feel grounded and centered and sane. Those are the things that we can't do. Mm. It's like the yoga movement would be very, very helpful at this point in time. And yet it's been put on pause and it all happened all of a sudden, you know, I had a week in March when like everything for 2020 canceled. All of yeah.
0: It. Or is this us practicing the yoga now in the pause? Ah, Maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We keep being taught, taught to like, let go, yeah, let go. All Surrender. All the universe is like, okay, so I'm taking <laughs> this away.
0: Yeah. And, How have you managed online?
2: Well, um, by retreating from it. Um, uh, to be honest, I found that uh, the first things that I did in terms of concerts online we're deeply unsatisfying because what I love about Kirtan is the interaction. And even for a lot of performers, even if you're not having a call and response, um, there is a a deep feeling of connection to the audience and you just don't get that with things online. Mm. If it's YouTube or Facebook live, you don't see anybody. If it's zoom, you can see people, but they're often at a delay. So you can't hear them sing back. There's no interactivity. And, I I chose to not be frustrated by it and just say, okay, I can't do this right now. And so I'm going to take a pause. Um, I'm fortunate that um, I had some projects for other artists to produce in my studio. And so I just turned my attention to that. I mean, right now I have some 33 different songs in progress between Um. I mean, I just finished a new record. I've got another one started. I'm producing things for other. I mean, my hands are full of just, like, stuff I'm creating. So I'm just creating community in another way. Mm. Um, And I feel like the best thing for me to do is, you know, if if the universe says pause, then you should pause. Mm. You know, like, why waste my energy fighting against a situation that I can't change? It's like, if it's winter, like... You're wasting your time, you know, complaining that, you know, you can't get your tomatoes to grow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> like, just wait. Um, I'm sure it'll come around. The thing that sometimes I'm sad about is that this whole thing was always a community, mm. you know, and a worldwide community, like unprecedented when you think about it. Yoga is like, we know each other. From like, oh, Switzerland or Bulgaria mm. or Berlin or, you know, all yeah. these places. And there's a community of people that we meet again and again in these places. You, you, I know I, with Kirtan, I'd meet somebody in Atlanta and then they'd show up in Copenhagen or yeah. something. Yeah. And um, it became in, really in twenty twenty five years, like a transnational culture. Um, and... And one that was dedicated to like human empowerment and ecstasy and mm. inquiry and like, what a beautiful thing. And now it's like, <laughs> stop. You know? Do you think for any they, reason, um, sorry, it's, go on. Uh, it's quite a unique time,
1: I think, in that although everyone has stopped, it feels like we've stopped together. It doesn't feel like anyone is getting too much of like an advantage, or other people are progressing with their lives. We're all just like <laughs> in the same sinking ship to some degree. So like I've noticed when I've gone back to studios and seen people again, it hasn't felt like I haven't seen them for seven months. It mm. feels like I f- saw them yesterday. Play again. It's 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 very odd. It feels like there was just a pause rather than life carried on without them mm. in, a, in a very odd sense. So I'm kind of hardened to the fact that I feel that when I get to events again, it won't feel like a whole year was missed out. It would just feel like we're, we're back to some kind of normal. And uh, I'm kind of heartened by the fact we're, or we were to some degree all in it together. However, people have had a very different experience. Like some people have... I guess, had to keep things going online for survival just to bring the money in, just to bring the pounds and the dollars in. Uh, So, of course, we've not all been in the same boat, but there is some sense of unity through this.
2: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I guess. Holly, you were just about to ask a question, though. Do you remember what it was? Oh,
0: lost my train of thought. Um, okay, well, no, I, it's gone. I'm sorry. Oh, it'll come back to I'm me. A bit. Oh, yes, I was going to say, I, do you feel like I know it's obviously it's not ideal, but do you believe that this ha- this is happening for some greater purpose?
2: Well, it, I'm not sure if anything's happening for a greater purpose. I mean, that's that's the confusing thing, mm. you know, is that, um, you know, I, one of the advantages of being off the road um, is that I've been able to spend more time um really uh gazing at emptiness and mm. fortunate in that for example i have a, a a place on a lake in the north of michigan in the u.s in a very remote area and you can just stare at mm. the stars and there's billions of them and so every night i'm going out and looking at them and you know just becoming aware of my own insignificance in mm. in a beautiful way Um, and I mean, there's something ego destroying about that, but there's also something quite liberating about it. And, but it makes me think it's like, well, there's surely, it feels to me, there's some animating presence or intelligence in the universe, but why should I think it cares more for me Mm -hmm. than, um, you know, like that fish that just got picked up by that eagle that just grabbed Mm -hmm. it from the water, you Mm -hmm. know, and, uh, which I've witnessed from that place many times. (laughs) Wow. Like... Life and death is just occurring and this consciousness is no more concerned about me and my happiness than, you know, whether that fish lives out its life or (laughs) dies in the talons of an eagle, you know? Mm. Um, and that could be depressing. It can also feel like, well, what do we do? You know, like in the time that we're here, I can't answer what came before or what's going to come after. I can only answer what's here. Um, I will say that our brains do seem to be equipped. We're meaning-making machines. Mm. We're gonna take random stuff and we're gonna find something meaningful about it because we have to. Mm. Like we're built that way. Like I don't think we would have survived as a species or as culture without that. And you know, yoga has certainly been a process of of embracing like that meaning and purpose. But I wish I could say I thought that there was some. Force out there that was basically looking at you know checking in on me. Well, how's Dave doing today? Um, you know, <laughs> here's my plan for Dave. You know? um, I'm not sure about that, and 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 it's it's weird because you know I think for many Westerners we grow up with this idea that there is a plan, and we do have this experience that there is some deep loving force, I guess, in the universe. Mm. Like it's like we. If there's not, we're just gonna make it up because we can't live without Mm. it. Um and then if we're all making it up, is that making it an illusion? You know? Uh, Big questions. very confusing.
0: Yeah. You, you um, said once, Dave. It was. It's really stuck with me till this day, and it was. It was so beautiful. It's something along the lines of, um, "We're only here for the tiniest moment in all of time." And I thought that's that. Again, it makes you feel so insignificant, but at the same time, it gives you so much purpose to do something special while you're here. So, yeah. what what do you feel like you're here to do then, and what your purpose is?
2: I, I think it, it, the the longer I do this, the older I get, the more I realize one is to um create joy whenever possible mm. um to um find compassion when joy is not possible um and to try and um in that compassion connect with others and um to try and i suppose ease ease, ease our collective pain in the mm. short time that we're here and um and to try and create a world that that at the end of the day we feel grateful to have experienced mm. um, um, i think it's that simple yeah. actually it's perfect you know?
0: yeah that's lovely um. Sh-
1: yeah we'll, we'll make sure we write that down in the show yeah, notes gonna that's re- going to be written down <laughs> <That's> so nice
0: <laughs> should we go back a bit to where you actually started all of this um I think was it in an ashram you used to make films right and then you got sent to India
2: yeah you know I, I probably end up making films again you know this is the funny thing you know mm. in, in um but uh I was a. Uh, basically a commercial editor in Hollywood. And I worked on a lot of, you know, commercials and music videos and documentary TV product and independent films and things like that. Um, Most of which were not particularly memorable and in a certain way, uh, especially working in commercials is kind of soul crushing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of money and everything, but at the end of it, you're like, what is this? What does this mean? You know, I'm spending my days, you know, dealing with, you know, editing, you know, commercials for crisps or something, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, we're looking at like 108 different takes of like opening the bag, (laughs) snapping the chip, you know, and and, (laughs) (laughs) right. And it just, um, as things happened, um, I got a job working for an ashram in India. Um, it's, it's a long story. I'll try and make it super short, but I had been, Invited to meet all sorts of spiritual teachers and in my own spiritual practices I really didn't feel like joining up on anything whether it was like Christian, Hindu, Sufi, etc. So I would always say no, but a friend of mine um, was working for this ashram in India and uh, a friend of hers was coming to Los Angeles and looking for work. And she'd had some experiences as an editor. I was given her name. I helped her find a job and her payback some months later was like, I sat down, I, I, there's this guru in India and she needs an editor, uh, to make some films for them about, uh, yoga from the perspective of beginner. And, uh, I sat down to meditate and you appeared in my meditation would you be interested in this job? Uh And that was the weirdest job offer ever. (laughs) So, um, I'd never been to India. So I said, sure, I'll talk to them. And, um, so I talked to them, they offered me the job because apparently appearing in someone's meditation was a qualification. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I had, you know, I had experience commercial credits and stuff like that. And so they offered me this job and the money was shite. So I turned it down and, um, and then I watched in the next couple of months as every single job opportunity fell apart yeah. and then I was broke. And I was like, okay, guess I'll take that job in India. <laughs> I called them up and to see if I you know if it was still available. And they were like, Yes, we need you there in a week. And so I don't know what they did. They they moved heaven and earth to get a visa and a FedEx to my passport. And the next thing you know, I'm on a plane to India. And um, my job was to um, listen to talks by various swamis and spiritual teachers and distill them into short subjects on different yoga topics, Uh, the first one being dharma, and then on to things like self-effort and grace, et cetera, et cetera. And they gave me, in effect, uh, an amazing education in Eastern Mm. philosophy, and it was all meant to be distilled through my experience as an utter beginner to yoga. So I'm practicing asana, I'm chanting, I'm meditating. And I mean, that's what I was doing. And they were paying me to do it, which was unbelievable and incredibly transformative. Because the thing was, what I loved about yoga is that Uh, My belief was not necessary. In fact, I was kind of determined not to get involved in belief, but the experiences kept overcoming Mm. my resistance, you know, Um, and, uh, and that just kept getting interesting. And I think for the first time, I, I kind of felt like the veil of my ego got pierced. And Um, and then a lot of things fell away and I I felt like somehow exposed in ways that were uncomfortable and that was a new experience and I had to encounter those things in myself that I was uncomfortable with and keep moving forward. Um, it was pretty amazing and it took a long time before I wanted to come back to the States. Um, when I did, um, I returned to my editing life as a way of making a living, but things had changed. Um, I started practicing yoga on a regular basis, asana. And I started chanting in yoga centers because people asked me to, because I'd been to India and I was a musician and Mm. never professionally at that point. But, um, I guess it was asked. And there was, there was a, um, Studio in Los Angeles in the late 1990s called Yoga Works, mm. um, which uh, Mati Ezrati, who just passed in this last year, was a, a not a household name around the world, but um, people should know that she was pivotal in inventing the modern yoga studio. Mm. Um, uh, the idea that a yoga studio would have teacher trainings, that it would be multidisciplinary, that the Ashtanga method, the Yangar method, that philosophy, the chanting, that all of these things would be part of what was on offer. Um, The idea of marketing yoga teachers like movie stars, (laughs) the Mm. idea of like, um, you know, weekend workshops and yoga retreats. So like all this came out of Monty and a few other people. And so YogaWorks became kind of a thing in LA. And at first they just had a couple of – studios and but there were teachers there who um, have since become sort of household yoga names um, who weren't famous at the time they started taking me along to play for yoga workshops so the next thing I know I'm like spending more and more time traveling and doing kirtans and playing yoga for yoga classes and it There was a point I just, you know, I made a record, people started playing it. um, And I basically just jumped. I was like, well, this is new. This is, I mean, I wasn't thinking this was what I was going to do with my life, but it was a vital scene that was happening. And uh, I had just enough self-awareness at the time to be like, wow, okay, I'm just going to do this. And it just kept on. First it was all over America and then, America and Europe and then America and Europe and Australia and then China and you know, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and it kept kept holding my interest and I kept mm. meeting beautiful people and um yeah and then it expanded 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 and then came the coronavirus and it- uh. <laughs> <Popped>. <laughs> so you were treading
1: like a really unknown path weren't you like now nah, like as a yoga teacher i can see many teachers before me who've taken different pathways to becoming successful but no one really i guess from america america had really done it in with the context of kirtan and doing it in that sense and touring, like how did you find that did you just go with the flow
2: Mm. well i partly went with the flow but at the same time it was weird because like i mean i i mean i've been a musician since i was a kid and in living in la i knew all kinds of people who were professional musicians who were you know doing rather well and um i guess i was sort of hiding in a way like i didn't really want to take the risk and um so instead of making a conventional or more conventional singer-songwriter record, you know, the first record that I made had Sanskrit mantras on it. I love that. that. So friends were like, well, that's weird. But, yeah. you, know, <laughs> um, you know, but okay. So like you're rocking the yoga studio in the mini mall, you know, I'm like, yeah. yeah you know, and and um, And at first I think people were like, well, that's, super alternative and, you know, they were kind of dismissive about it until it turned into just like a constant tour and a worldwide thing. And I started inviting um, musician friends of mine um, to sing on my records. And um, for example, um, the, the singer Donna DeLore and Cece White were both friends of mine and from the LA music scene. And, you know, Donna had sung backup for years for Madonna and mm-hmm. Cece White had sung on a jillion records and I asked them to sing on my first Kirtan record. And I not neither of them really knew what Sanskrit was, but I was like, here's the words, just sing it. And um, they were also transformed by the experience of it to the point where then they started making their own Kirtan records. And mm-hmm. so we kind of collectively birthed uh, a Los Angeles Kirtan scene, mm-hmm. but it was, a lot of it was pulling in professional musicians um, and getting them to see what we could do with Kirtan. You know, like jazz musicians is like, well, that's cool. It's like it's transformative and you speed up and you can change the chords under it and you can do all this stuff. So I think the fact that I was in L.A., that I had access to a really amazing professional music community that there was so much going on in the yoga scene here. It's just like things came together here in a way that in other parts of the world they didn't. And so this just kind of birthed it. But uh, for a long time, people were like dismissive of it. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, yoga attainment. You know, that's what my brother. Yoga attainment. Uh, yeah. Very yoga attainer.
1: Yeah. Did, did you think like was it when you were also oh, when you were progressing with it, and the, you know, time went on, was it a pretty steady upward ride like it was getting better and better more money and like or were there some were there times when you thought this this isn't gonna work like I need to make more videos oh God,
2: so many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, well because at some point you know uh, what kind of drove me through it was I could see how it was helping me progress personally, Mm. um, that, uh, at a time in my life when I could have got stuck in things, I was having to stay flexible and, Mm. um, encounter new people in new situations, in situations I couldn't control. I mean, even a kirtan itself, you can't control it. You don't know what the crowd
0: is. You have
2: to respond to it. Um, You know, I was always in funky situations. A lot of, you know, yoga studios are not concert halls. They're not necessarily set up to know how to promote or get the gear that you need for the sound or any of these things. So it was constant process of invention and sometimes just making it work Um, that sometimes the money was great and sometimes it was terrible. And, you know, I somehow thought that the yoga world, everybody would always necessarily somehow be nicer and like more truthful. And I was disabused of that at certain points. Mm. Like, really? This big spiritual festival just like ripped me off, you know? I no. just refused to pay or file for bankruptcy. Oh, These things happen. Uh, you know, when one of the best things I got out of the ashram was that. Uh, I realized that everybody in the world was there, at least a representative of like every idiot I'd ever met was in the ashram <laughs> I had to deal with that. Cause they were there for spiritual purposes. So I had to give them credit, you know, yeah. um, then you can transform that and say, Oh, there's not one circumstance that can't be used for my own upliftment. Mm. You know, it's disappointing to have a spiritual festival, you know, rip you off. But at the same time, it's another thing you can't control. So it kind of puts you back to yourself and say, well, what, how am I going to respond to this? You know? Um, so it became a spiritual exercise. Um, and, uh, sometimes, you know, a money-making enterprise. I mean, I surprisingly, uh, make money from royalties, from like Sanskrit mantras, which is, you know, and, and they just keep on coming, Gosh. which is amazing. Mm. And I'm grateful for that because it's a super alternative career and one that, you know, wasn't the only person who invented it. There's, you know, I've colleagues, you know, that were simultaneously doing it. Um, it feels like it kind of erupted out of human con the collective consciousness mm. sort of all at once. This whole yoga thing did. It was like suddenly the world was ready for it. Yeah. Um, and it feels like now it's gone through a whole cycle. Um, and I suppose all of us are now wondering what happens next. You know, mm. um, Yoga Works went on uh, to become a massive chain of yoga studios, not just in Los Angeles, but in New York and like all over the United States. The model that they had um, has been replicated by people all over the world, in fact, many would have direct connections to, to that studio. People might have taken a teacher training and then gone to, you know, I mean, I think uh, for people listening in London, Triyoga would be an equivalent to, mm-hmm. um, to Yoga Works. So when they announced just recently that they were closing their doors forever, because they couldn't make it through the pandemic. Mm. You know, it was really...
1: Was that all, all yoga works? I yeah, thought that was just was New York doing. studios. Is it all?
2: All of them? You no, know, it started with New York, but now all of them. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. It's
0: all of them. Yeah.
2: They're, wow. they're surviving just as a tiny online enterprise right. now. But 90% of the teachers were let go. They've let go of the leases on all
0: gosh. of
2: their studios. And, like, if there was anything that ever showed you that it was over, it's that. And, and we're left you know, asking, I think a lot of questions. Now, the community is still here. The people are still here, but the venues are gone. Mm. Um, I mean, I have, I have yoga conferences on my schedule for 2021. I mean, what happened probably for you as well is that a lot of what was happening in 2020 that got canceled just got shifted.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, And I hope those things happen and it'll be an amazing, like delightful reunion. And and I hope, you know, like I'll have the same experience as you did, Adam. It's just that, uh, wow, it feels like no time has gone by, Mm. but yet I feel like something has changed and I'm not sure what, Mm. um, Mm. and I'm not sure, I'm sure that it will be reinvented. I'm not sure exactly how or when, and maybe the thing right now is we have to sit with the emptiness of it. You know, we actually do have to let go. We do have to um, sit at the edge of that void and somehow be informed by it. Mm.
1: One thing you do in terms of the community, and as you say, com- coming back to in-person kirtans, is you make eye contact a lot. Yes. And that I guess you've missed that. <sighs> Uh, so i just wanted you to yeah. talk around that a little because i really love that and actually i've noticed it not actually not many kilitan concerts or performances i've been to have done that you are the the only one that's really made really deep eye contact with everyone so could you speak about that at all
2: mm-hmm. um sure uh, i mean i definitely it's something you can't quite do on zoom can you no. you know <laughs> um not in the same way and um I, uh, you know, I had always been taught that you were supposed to close your eyes and go within. Um, but, uh, I was touring. I think the moment of illumination for me came, um, uh, I, I would go to Kirtan. So, you know, people go into their bliss, etc. And there are people like, oh, it's not a performance. You just sing. And, you know, and that was the model, um, in I think around 2005 I was touring with uh, a table player named Miles Shrewsbury who, um, uh, has sometimes played with me. You might've met him. He sometimes plays the Udaya Bulgaria. Thing. Okay. And, um uh, um, and, uh, he was not, uh, although he's an excellent table player was not, and a spiritual seeker was not a Yogi per se at the time. And, um, uh, and the Kirtan gig was something that he was like, you know, it was like a job, but we became fast friends, you know, in the process of this first tour he did with me. And, uh, but I realized that, uh, like I'd go start the Kirtan, close my eyes, etc., And then after the show, everybody would come up and talk to miles. And like, <laughs> what? His name's not on the poster. You know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I thought I'm going to, uh, just watch and see what he's doing one night. And he was sitting there playing toddler sitting on the Cajon, and I realized he was looking it at
1: everybody.
2: <laughs> he was just looking at everybody. And uh, my eyes are closed, and so people are out there chanting, they're looking at him, because, you know, he's looking back. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna try that tomorrow night. I'm just gonna keep my eyes open, and I'm just gonna look at everybody. And oh my God, what a change really? that made for me. It mm. changed everything. I understood something really powerful in it. One, was that it was all about connection and that the best way for me to connect was just to look at everybody, just make eye contact, just be like, hi, you know? And, and to see, it became kind of a game, like how many people could I actually look at? You know, how many- <laughs> Check it and, and then I had to learn, you know, like not be confronted with it, you know, because some people don't want to be looked at, mm. you know, so you'd have to, I have to kind of look at people and just be like, notice them and try not to have an opinion, you know, just be like, hi, hi, hi. Um, and the more I did it, the better response I got from people, because I think people feel acknowledged. And when you, when you think about it, what do we all really want? We want mm. acknowledged. Yeah. You
1: know? It makes you feel held i think when you no, like, yeah. when you like i you know, experienced more many kirtans with you and i used to always sit down like, i hate the dancing stuff like, i like dancing but in that first first moment as a kirtan with you i didn't dance and i just didn't even like the idea of dancing with some random people and i was like hippies like this is not me i've got i've got the marla beads but that's too far that's too far but yeah. But then, yeah, the second time was like just you make an eye contact for some reason, like empowered me
0: mm. to just
1: get on with you it. You went wild, and didn't you, go... that second
0: time? Geez! But no,
1: then just going forward now. I'm like, I'm on the floor straight <laughs> away. I'm like, clear the space. Oh yeah,
2: and hey, listeners, uh, <laughs> Holly and Adam <laughs> are amazing kirtan practitioners. Oh, they they stop. do a, a kirtan, a kirtan <laughs> school with me in Berlin last year, and oh. both of them were really really jaw-droppingly
0: oh oh, oh yeah. thanks
2: Dave um, it was it was really it pleased me no end you know oh that's so I, I, I guess I'm aware that particularly Adam had some reluctance you know and um it but just to watch you know watch everybody pop out of their resistances comfort and zones just it in place it just felt like pure unabashed joy yeah like, you know like like fuck it, we're just gonna go for it. Exactly, you know? and, and it was so freeing and empowering. And I guess the thing for me is like more and more this stuff is is I just take delight in other people's delight, mm. you know? It, it's like, it's not, it's so less and less about me. It's more and more about like watching what happens in, in, in other people, mm, like that's, that's, lovely. What, that, that's what I get from it mm. really. No. So um, I think I just got off track, but I, I just had to give you It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. And, and,
1: and from <laughs> our point of view, like that, for me, that experience with you. So that for context, it was like a, a four day kid kill on training uh, and day and night. And like, I've got a busy mind. I've got a busy schedule. I practice yoga, meditate, but that was the first time I'd managed to really turn off and tune in. Like I didn't think about anything to do with my work life, to do with planning classes, to like Instagram and all that bullshit. Mm. I was just oh. able to be completely present. And there's very few things that do that. Mm. And I think, I think you refer to like music and orgasms being those two big things that let you feel kind of relaxation. <laughs> it, was like, it was like
0: one long orgasm a weekend then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: You yeah. can quote wow. me.
0: You can quote me on that. Thanks for the orgasm Dave. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. I know it's group sex.
0: Right. <laughs> Do you know, what? I'm really cu- I'm really curious just as a last question. Um can you tell us about maybe the best Kiatan experience you've ever had up on stage and also the worst?
2: You must oh, have one. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. And hold that thought for just a moment, because I do have to like actually let the audience know after that ringing endorsement of flight school, Kirtan Flight School's call. I yeah. just have to. We just came up with dates. If if anybody's listening, oh, yes. in doing this, um, we're going to do another one in Berlin next year when hopefully the pandemic is over. So October twelfth through seventeenth, twenty twenty one um at the same venue rigpa in berlin um so that's happening then i'm also doing one at omega in new york in september i think it starts september 7th so um i I think i think you'll see us there yeah we'll be there yeah absolutely (laughs)
0: back round two (laughs) i
2: I might i might have learned how to play my
1: hang drum by then
2: (laughs) oh cool great Mm. give you some time to work toward it um uh best and worst um you know it's funny sometimes the best can turn into the worst and the worst can turn into the best. So, I mean, there've been a few learning experiences. Um, Part of it is, is I realized that um, I was having to practice really in front of people. I mean, this was one of the hardest things is that at some point it occurred to me like, Hey, I am not an enlightened being. I'm not, that's not a goal for me. It's not something I'm trying to sell. Um, I am trying to be a happy, balanced person and yoga is providing some tools that have you know, helped me make some progress on that path. But uh, there was a point when I really had an ego investment um, in being good and this happening and it being successful and the music being mm-hmm. great and everything and I, I realized that it, it, it was becoming an act of will And that that started to get heavy, you know, that, that it started to hurt this whole feeling of like, I'm doing this, I have to do this. And, you know, I, I know I could see this in asana practice too, when you're like, I'm going to power through this, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's when you get hurt, you know? And I remember being in front of a really big crowd at a yoga studio called Moksha Yoga in Chicago. Um, which was really quite in its day, a scene of both yoga and, and kirtans happening. And for the first time, like the kirtan literally fell apart on me in a way that was just awful. Like, like I was mad inside and musicians weren't playing the way I wanted to and everything wasn't working. And it like, literally I've never had a, a kirtan fall apart in my life. And it just collapsed in front of me and my response is what was funny is that at first it hurt and then I just started laughing (laughs) it was like it was such a transformative moment suddenly I just started laughing and the crowd started laughing too and was like oh I actually for the first time let go like I had to it just fell apart I had to let it go I had to like fail in front of a of a crowd of people that just paid 30 bucks to see me or Mm. something and you know and and it just absolutely crashed and burned and somehow laughter arose in there and what followed was we started again and the best kirtan ever happened so in some ways the worst and the best happened right next to one another. And it, it feel like it's still a powerful thing to contemplate Uh, not just in Kirtan, but like in life in general, like this whole, it, it couldn't, the basis upon which I was supporting this thing couldn't hold like my ego isn't enough. My will isn't enough. It comes from some other place that, ultimately it has to do with heart and surrender and compassion and letting go of perfection like all that entered in to this moment when it all fell apart it was like all the glass shattered all the veils fell apart and all of a sudden there was space for like something to begin again there was space for life to occur and and everybody got somehow caught up in that joy and after that I was like, wow. I don't have to pretend to be anybody. I just have to show up. Mm-hmm. And and like I don't I don't have to try and be somebody's perfect master or an enlightened this, that, or the other. All I have to do is just be real. All I have to do is just like be honest. All I have to do is just like surrender to what's happening here and it it'll be all right cuz it was more than all right. It it I, I, it takes courage to like fail in front of people. Mm. That's actually been part of the whole flight school thing is about. It's like fail and fail again, you know, and like learn to laugh in the midst of it. Like uh, as a metaphor for life, I don't I can't think of anything better. You know, um in the current political situation like we're speaking, you know, right now in early October, about a month out from the big United States election. So I'm not sure when this will air. It might all be over by the time, you know, this actually airs, but um, it's a very, very difficult time here where it feels like everything is falling apart. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it's like this Kirtan, like some act of like the, the, the fundamentals are wrong. It's coming from the wrong place it's going to fall apart because what's supporting it is, is like the pose is built wrong. Mm -hmm. You know Um, the breathing's wrong. The feet are planted in the wrong way. It's just going to hurt. But I have faith that once it all falls apart, that that's the opening act of something really good of something really good. And it teaches me like Kirtan in some ways has taught me, not to fear the worst but in some ways to welcome it um it doesn't mean being complacent but it does mean being open to the possibility that things happen for a reason <laughs> just to go back to an earlier part of the of our conversation you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, or that we can find a reason yeah and that we can work with even a great disaster to toward our collective betterment and fulfillment and upliftment. Wow. Mm.
0: That was pretty much the perfect place to stop, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> I think we should do one, just a two little quick fire ones. Oh, oh yeah,
0: quick fires. We, <laughs> little, we always do the little quick fires. Just quick fires, just, quick fires. just little quick amazing. fires. Yeah, yeah. but
1: there, yeah, thank you so much yeah. for that.
0: Yeah.
1: As, as, as a little quick fire, if there was a, and I think you should write a book. Right regardless. Yeah, I think should, I think you've got enough to say to write an amazing book that I would buy. But in the, in the and, in, and also
0: please put it on Audible so we can listen to your voice. But in the in the absence
1: of a Dave Stringer book, are there any books that you particularly resonate with that you think people should read?
2: Um You know, I think from a spiritual standpoint, my favorite spiritual book of all time is uh, Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. Oh, that's amazing,
0: that book. Mm.
2: And it's blessedly short, so (laughs) you you can tear through it in, you know, a weekend for sure. Mm. Um, But its picture of like the passage of human life and potentially like the goal of it, 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 written as literature, is really, really... um, uh, pertinent Mm. at all times um yeah cool thank you
0: if you could sing one kirtan for the rest of your life what would it be
2: um well there's a lot of different tunes and obviously i write a (laughs) lot of them so there are new ones are always arising but the essential mantra for me yeah uh is the mantra om namah shivaya and the reason for that is that the sounds of it are themselves meaningful in ways that are universally understood. Um, there is a a process, a spiritual process that is implied by the sounds. So if you make the sound, Oh, it invites you to open. It invites you to, uh, look at things with wonder. Um, when you say the sound, "Mm," it brings you internal and it brings you to a place of like connection and satisfaction. And, um, the sound "ah" gives you a feeling of like relief. Um, the sound um, sh- brings you to a place of quiet and the sound "e gives you a feeling of release and freedom and the sound v- gives you a feeling of vibration and excitement, and then again, "ah, again, this feeling of release and repeat. You know Mm. it's like a little yoga practice itself it's so
0: lovely you
2: know open yourself Mm. integrate you know like release get quiet find freedom and energy Mm. you know and repeat so that mantra you know and and really what it literally means uh is uh shiva is representative of things breaking down And then coming back together again so it invites us to let go of what we think we know let go of the things that we're holding on to open ourselves to the possibility of something new that can enter in and um to use that transformative energy ultimately to our own um sense of self and connection to others Mm. and um the hope of course is that uh, as we release ourselves, we also release others. So that's the mantra. It's
1: beautiful. beautiful. Thank you so Thank much, you Dave. Thank you so much. Thank and where you. should we refer people to? Like... Uh,
2: my website, I guess, davestringer.com. Um, one of the things that is uh, kind of nice about this pandemic era is that um, one of the downsides of being a world-traveling musician or yoga teacher, in case of two of you, uh, is that uh, there's a relentlessness to self-promotion that often goes on that is sort of like the opposite side of, you know, mm-hmm. ego death. <laughs> 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 and uh, right now, because I'm mostly producing songs in the studio, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not out there performing. Um, I'm not out there promoting myself. Um, I'm internally... I'm writing. I actually have renewed my asana practice on a daily basis. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot more reading and writing and practicing. And I, I think I'm going to do that until next spring mm. when uh, I can release, I think, um, like I have a new album in English. Um which uh is beautiful uh with it's called thrum it's with uh an english singer songwriter named sheila nichols to n-i-c-h-o-l-l-s if you want to google her who who is also a really brilliant singer songwriter and the record's spiritual without being new age mm-hmm. um and um uh i think it, it it speaks to some of the deeper questions that i have um and uh there's a i'm come next year i'm going to release a ton of new music That's and awesome. so um but if you go to my website dave you can figure out how to listen to all, like the 10 albums that i've made <laughs> at this point you know work our like,
0: way through those <laughs> thanks dave <laughs> thank
1: yeah. you so much for hey, cheers